0: This is the EP-Log audio experience. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed are the host's own and do not represent the views, thoughts and opinions of EP-Log Media Private Limited. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes and or entertainment purposes only. Listener discretion advised. Welcome back to History Chatter on December 19th it'll be 63 years since the liberation of goa goa has been in the news for a couple of reasons recently and it's as good a time as any to look back on the liberation of goa in fact uh, there was a recent controversy about the citizenship of some goans india decided to um, enforce its passport laws more strictly one of the clauses of india's passport laws with regard to goa uh, made for the revocation of indian passport if it is found that the applicant had hidden any relevant information during the application process now it is of course uh, pretty well known that Goa had been a Portuguese colony for over 460 years. Portugal still offers citizenship to those born in Goa before December 1961 and to future generations. A Portuguese passport helps in visa fee entry into several countries in Europe. For the average Goan, it means a whole world of personal and professional opportunities. Several Goans therefore register their birth at the Central Registry in Lisbon as a matter of course, which technically makes them eligible for Portuguese citizenship later. This is uh, quite obvious, normal, and similar to the ways in which some Indians make special preparation to have their children in the U.S. uh, soil if they can afford it. Since the U.S. offers citizenship to anyone born on its soil, uh, those children have the option to be U.S. citizens. Whether or not they exercise that choice later is unimportant. The parents want to offer that choice to their children. Now, many do opt for it for the simple reason that it offers a better life. Likewise, it's fairly common among the Goans, to register their birth with Portugal. Many of them eventually stay back in India and apply for Indian passports later. Some of them choose eventually to migrate to Portugal and surrender their Indian passport. Earlier, when they wanted to surrender the Indian passport and uh, opt for Portuguese citizenship, it was a relatively painless process. Now, the Goans did not usually mentioned during their application for Indian citizenship that they had already registered their birth with Portugal. But now, India has decided to consider that an offense. A notification to that effect was issued on November 30th. Since then, over 100 Goans who had gone to surrender their Indian passport suddenly discovered that they had already lost it. It will make it difficult, of course, for them to secure an overseas citizen of India status. They have since got together and appealed to the Goa MP Shadanand Shet Tanare, who has raised the issue with the Ministry of External Affairs. There is hope that the matter will be resolved soon, uh, Tanare said, and the applicants will receive some relief. So, almost all the people of Goa have the option to opt for Portuguese citizenship. A Goan can move to Portugal at any stage of his or her life. All they have to do is show that their parents or grandparents were born in Portuguese Goa before 19th December 1961. To take a rather famous example, Musician Remo Fernandes, for example, moved to Portugal only in 2016. He was already 50 plus years old at that time. So India has had to deal with Goa rather delicately. The relationship of Goa with the Indian Union is not the same as with other states. To that extent, it is a good tie to recall exactly how Goa became a part of India. It's well known, of course, that Goa had been a Portuguese colony since at least the 16th century. Um, Of course, it is not possible for lack of space and time to recall that history in any great detail. But it is useful to return to the process through which Goa became a part of India. Now, most of us did not know these details while growing up. I was only 10 years old when Goa was made a full-fledged state in 1987. I took some interest in the process since it seemed novel. Till then, I did not know that administrative units like districts or states could be made or changed. They appeared as timeless timeless entities to 10-year-old children. We were taught that we belonged to such and such villages, countries, districts, or states. I did not understand how someone could belong to one state today and another state tomorrow. But uh, that is precisely the reason why the making of a new state uh, stoked my curiosity My mother had somehow injected in me an interest in what then used to be called general knowledge. In India in the 1980s, mobile phones and the internet did not exist. Even multi-channel color television was a distant dream for lower middle class vernacular households in small towns. It took six and seven months since the submission of the application for a landline telephone to be installed. The adolescents were taught to cultivate useful pastimes, such as reading books and newspapers. Then there were the general knowledge books. These books contained trivia about everything under the sun, including recent advances in science, sports, culture, politics, and economics. General knowledge and queasing were fast picking up a reputation as a useful resource for collecting knowledge and information beyond the textbooks. Now, these were widely believed to have the capacity to somehow turn the students into well-rounded gentlemen with varied interests. Parents were under the impression that these quasi-academic pastimes would later help their children clear the recruitment examinations for various government services. So a majority of government servants still received a modest salary. Families traveling beyond their home district or province appeared a rarity. Goa, of course, was a much coveted destination. It had already built up a reputation as a beach with beautiful foreigners patronized and where dance, drinks, and revelries flowed freely and wildly. I was too young for that fantasy really to reach me. My familiarity with Goa revolved around its two major football teams. Salgaokar and Dempo Sports Club would often visit Calcutta. And they took on the local giants, St. Bengal, and Mohon Bagan. Sometimes the Calcutta sides won, and sometimes the Goan sides. How the football teams uh, from a relatively small place like Goa almost matched up to the legendary sides from Calcutta was a frequent subject of popular discussion among the elders in our neighborhood. Football was a favorite pastime for almost all male adults apart from politics. I had developed a habit of reading or virtually chewing up the daily newspaper. It was only source, the only source of instruction beyond textbooks and entertainment. Um, I'd pore over even the advertisements for movies and professional theater. Therefore, when Goa was made a full state in 1987, I read the news with great interest. It also made sense to memorize the name of Pratap Singh Rane, the first chief minister of Goa. Now, much water has since flown down the Mandavi. The wealthy among the mainland Indians, particularly those with an aesthetic bent, and year for quietitude, built beach houses in Goa. Artists, writers, and fashion designers have converted Goa into a quiet retreat, Mainstream Hindi movies project Goa as a rite of passage, as a site where protagonists indulge in youthful excesses and yet eventually rise to maturity. The liberation of Goa formed the subject matter of at least one Hindi movie which featured Amitabh Bachchan, no less, Pukar in 1983. I visited Goa at least once in 2012 and traveled its length and breadth, even if a little briefly. I've since been raring to go again. The cheerful spirit of the people and the abundant greens in the villages are irresistible. Hopefully, I'll be back soon. Liberation or annexation of Goa Depending on your point of view, is not a popular theme for historians. There are exceptions to this general trend, such as the work of Shushila Mendes. Scholars such as Rochel Pinto has, uh, sorry, scholars such as Rochel Pinto have published on the politics of print in Goa, and yet Goa has not seen a great deal of scholarly attention. Even though it has been an integral part of India for over 60 years now and uh, generally been at the forefront of national politics for a long time. Meanwhile, Prime Minister Narendra Modi of India in February 2022 um, alleged that Jawaharlal Nehru, India's first Prime Minister, delayed the liberation of Goa. The charge was that Nehru had delayed sending the army to liberate Goa. In an election rally in Goa, Modi claimed that Goa could have been liberated within a few hours after India's independence in 1947. Now, Congress leaders immediately protested that it was an attempt to malign Nehru's reputation and that he had sent the army at the right time. The debate basically revolved around whether it made sense for Nehru to wait for 14 years before he finally decided to send the army. Now, Nehru's relationship to Goa is complicated. Sushila Mendes, the premier historian of nationalism in Goa, Um, writes that Nehru's relation with Goa's liberation was relatively tenuous compared to other veterans like Ram Manohar Lohia, N.G. Gore or S.M. Joshi. In 1946, Nehru did not attach much importance to civil disobedience movement in Goa. He said and publicly that Goa was a pimple on the face of India, which might be easily pinched off once India achieved its freedom. In July 1946, Nehru made a statement that the Indian National Congress was busy in the movement for national independence and had no time to spare for smaller movements. However, once it became clear that Portugal was not in a mood to hand over Goa to India, the government of India was reluctant to use force. Ever since independence, the Indian government held the position that Goa was a colony of Portugal in the Indian subcontinent, even though it was geographically, linguistically and ethnically a part of India. Nehru government's policy was clearly to settle this problem by peaceful means. India tried to reason with Portugal for four years but closed down the diplomatic mission in 1953 when it was absolutely clear that Portugal was not ready to allow Goa to become a part of India. Meanwhile, Dadra and Nagar Haveli were liberated in uh, 1954 by the underground movement for freedom and the local population. The Portuguese responded with violence against a peaceful Satyagraha in Goa in 1954 and closed down the borders with India. In response, India imposed an economic blockade and all trade relations were closed. Now, the policy um, did not work. In fact, it encouraged smuggling. And as we shall see um, in a while, It actually made Goa prosperous. We'll come to that in a while. Many Goans living outside could not send any money to their relatives back home. Meanwhile, Satyagraha continued and the Portuguese dealt with it ruthlessly. So, two momentous rallies took place in Bombay in defense of Goa's liberation. The first one, held on October the 2nd in 1955 at Lloyd's Reclamation Ground, was followed by another at the same venue on June 4th, 1956. This June 1946 meeting was extremely impressive, and it drew an estimated 30,000 Goans they listened for half an hour to a captivating speech by Nehru. During his address, Nehru assured the Goans of a separate status for Goa upon liberation and urged them to overcome their differences and stand united. He also raised concerns about the treatment of political prisoners by the Portuguese government. By the late 50s, things were getting more complicated. However, pressure from the leaders from African colonies of Portugal virtually forced Nehru to consider liberating Goa by force. They accused him of losing his anti-colonial fire. On December 20th, 1960, Nehru addressed the Rajya Sabha and he emphasized the urgency of the Goa situation. He cited recent developments in Africa and the Portuguese colonies there as pressing reasons to act. A few months later, on 13th of August 1961, Nehru declared that the time might come when India would send its army to liberate Goa. Meanwhile, at the Belgrade conference in early September, Nehru faced strong criticism. African leaders questioned his commitment to anti-colonialism. And he pointed to his earlier statement, Whatever happens in Africa affects Goa. Now, the African leaders turned the tables. They claim that the situation in Goa has a direct impact on the African revolution. In fact, it would make it easier for them to achieve their independence from Portugal. Now, this reversal of his own words placed Nehru under pressure, to accelerate India's efforts towards Goa's liberation. In New Delhi, on October 20, there was a seminar. It was called Portuguese Colonial Possessions. The gathering held immense weight. It attracted prominent figures from the subjugated African nations, like Kenneth Conda, Aim Khatib of Morocco, Causa of Congo and esteemed leaders from Angola and Tanganyika. This remarkable event proved to be a watershed moment as the participants' courageous stance served as a powerful catalyst. It prompted the Indian government to finally confront the issue of Goa's liberation. Just three days later, On October 23rd, at a rally in Bombay, Prime Minister Nehru acknowledged the need for a shift in approach. He publicly advocated for, and I quote, other methods, unquote, to resolve the Guan issue. So when in December 1961, Portugal finally agreed to negotiate after 14 years, Nehru refused. On the stroke of midnight, December 17th and 18th, Operation Vijay was finally launched. Portugal offered almost no resistance and within 36 hours, all opposition was neutralized. The entire campaign resulted in approximately 22 Portuguese soldiers killed and seven Indian casualties. The formal surrender ceremony held on the afternoon of the 18th when the Portuguese Governor General of Goa surrendered unconditionally to Brigadier Kalwan Singh in Marmagao. Now, for nearly 14 years, Jawaharlal Nehru patiently pursued a peaceful resolution with Portugal he urged them to relinquish their colonial hold on India. However, when uh, faced with escalating provocations and unmitigated cruelty inflicted on the people of Goa, Nehru was finally forced to act decisively. The swift and successful operation secured Goa's liberation without causing harm to any Goan citizen. Now, that is how historians like Sushila Mendes look back at the liberation of Goa. In her approach, it was a perfect strategy for Nehru, but for the pressure from African uh, colonies of Portugal, um, India suffered from a policy paralysis. One of the things that uh, Mendes does not uh, emphasize sufficiently is the kind of response that came up in Goa of um, the India's economic blockade in 1954. The story of Goa's liberation is related in far greater detail in a new recent book, Valmiki Faleiro's new book around the liberation of Goa, offers far more detail. Faleiro is a prolific military historian. He was updating his book on Goan soldiers who had joined the Indian army when the COVID pandemic struck. Faleiro decided to take up the long-pending project of writing a full-fledged history of uh, the liberation of Goa. However, um, Due to the peculiar conditions uh, during the times of the pandemic, he had to base it on publicly available documents and memories of a large number of informants. A fully documented history of Goa's liberation remains to be written yet. However, it is useful to remember that uh, the Goans who had joined the British Indian Army before 1947 or the Indian Army before 1961 were all settled outside Goa. Resident Goans were allowed into the Indian military only after 1961. But Goa in the 20th century was only a dear jewel Portugal's Pearl of the East, or, I quote, a memorial of Portuguese discoveries of a once glorious empire. By the end of the first quarter of the 20th century, Portugal was in a deep economic recession. Goa was of no practical use, economic or strategic, to Portugal. It was, in fact, an annual burden of some 7 million escudos. Portugal's Prime Minister and later dictator, António de Oliveira Salazar, said, in fact, that in a national broadcast um, on 30th November 1954, but Goa did hold a special place in the national pride of Portugal, a point of honor. It was a living example of the glorious, adventurous spirit of the Portuguese during the so-called Age of Discovery. It was an important trophy to display a useful relic of a time which had long since passed away it was useful in other words to rekindle pride in the mind of the ordinary portuguese so goa in the mid 20th century was an emotion to portugal and it was not economics portugal had lost vast lands in central and southern africa to the british whatever little pride the Portuguese were left with had to be saved. In India too, Goa was of mere symbolic value, a tiny speck, 0.1% area of India's land mass on her western seaboard. Now, perspectives changed after 1947 when India rose to become a world leader against colonialism. After intervention with USA and the Netherlands in 1949 to grant independence to Indonesia, India led campaigns against racism in South Africa and against Portugal's colonialism in Asia and Africa. Now, colonial Goa undermined India's role of leadership in the anti-colonial movement at the UN and the world at large. Indian nationalism, of course, had already reached Goa. In 1928, a Paris-trained engineer, Tristau de Braganza Cunha, who was from Kuiulim, Kanzolim, formed the Goa National Congress in Margao. Now, in the middle of growing nationalism among Goans, um, Salazar promulgated the infamous Acto Colonial on July 8, nineteen thirty. Now, actor colonial or the colonial act downgraded the status of Goa. Earlier, it was a province of Portugal. Now, it became a colony. From being full citizens, meaning equal to ethnic Luso citizens of mainland Portugal, Goans now became their subjects. Goan civil servants were methodically replaced by whites to re-nationalize Goa. Civil liberties seized. Political parties, rallies, and speeches were outlawed. Assemblies of any kind, including birthday parties, required state approval. Censorship was imposed on all printing material, any printed word, even an invitation card to a wedding, a housewarming party, a child's baptismal or a thread ceremony party, a folk play handball, anything and everything, even those meant exclusively for private circulation, had to be approved by the census before being printed. A reign of terror typical of a dictatorship was let loose on Goa. So the act of colonial and the racial discrimination was in full force but unmercifully proved counterproductive It intensified nationalism, even among elite Goans, including those who um, studied in Portugal and who until then had steered clear of politics. Meanwhile, in 1934, the Indian National Congress, um, together with its own branches in London and New York, Dissociated itself from Goa National Congress uh, on the ground that it functioned from an alien land. So, Goa Nationalist Congress shifted to 21 Dalal Street, Bombay in 1936 to dodge that alien land embargo. But the Congress was unimpressed and Goa remained excluded from India's freedom movement. Goa was uh, doubly unlucky, as a matter of fact. The Portuguese were not interested in exploring Goa's potential, either for themselves or for the Goans. The Portuguese really had lost the capacity to carry out major interventions in global politics, since the 17th century, when the Dutch raids had reduced their naval power to insignificance. The Indian National Congress was not interested into encouraging the liberation movement either. Goa was too small for it to matter. Meanwhile, a significant demographic change was underway. In 1850, Catholics comprised 64% of the Goan population, but they also made up the overwhelming majority of those who migrated out of Goa in search of brighter prospects. The Hindus did not venture out for fear of losing caste. It may be, it may be, One of the reasons why over the next 100 years, the Hindus in Goa, inside the territorial boundaries of Goa, far outnumbered the Catholics. So by 1961, Hindu Goans made up 60% of the population. The population at the time was about uh, 6 lakhs. It is reasonable to assume that they had already overtaken the Catholics uh, and represented the majority population by the 1930s. Recent estimates place the Catholic population in Goa at about 20%. Uh, ironically enough, ironically in the sense that Portugal had oppressed Goans consistently till 1961. Given that background, the fact that Goans now covet a Portuguese passport as a free ticket into the European Union sounds like an irony. So, the nationalist movement in Goa stood abundant until... 1946, June, when Ram Manohar Lohia decided to intervene. He had made friends with Dr. Julio de Menizis as a student in Germany. Menizis, who later carried out uh, covert nationalist activities in Goa, um, relocated to Bombay in, in 1939 to escape arrest. He set up the Gomantak Praja Mandal political party. When Lohia was released from Pune jail in April 1946, he saw his friend Menizis in Bombay. Menizis advised Lohia to rest and recuperate in the healthy climate of Goa. Since the jail stints had considerably weakened uh, Lohia's health during the last uh, two or three years. Now, originally, it was meant to be a quiet visit and Lohia had planned to stay for barely a week. He arrived on June the 10th and was due to reach Bombay on June the 19th, but uh, streams of nationalist goans rushed to meet him. His, the news of his arrival was published in the local newspaper O Heraldo. Meeting young men at Marmagao and Panjim between 15th and 17th June, Lohia and Menizis resolved to defy the ban on public meetings and address Goans in Margau on 18th of June. As news spread about the meeting, the Portuguese police made frenetic arrangements to scuttle it. Meanwhile, Lohia and Menezes gave them the slip and arrived at the venue. Even though there were plenty of policemen deployed to prevent their entry, Lohia publicly defied the police and went up onto the stage. Faleiro writes that even as the police chief of Margao, Captain Fortunato Miranda held a gun on his forehead, Lohia gently held him by the shoulder and asked him to calm down. This rather dramatic display of courage and defiance by Lohia immediately encouraged a large crowd of nationalists to gather up. Literature and freedom fighter Ravindra Kaleka later recalled that the crowd was estimated between 600 and 700. It was the largest political gathering in Goa until that moment. The dramatic exchange went on as Captain Miranda ordered Lohia not to speak at gunpoint. Lohia went on daring and defying him in full public view. A flustered Miranda soon regained his composure and had Lohia and Meneses arrested and whisked away to jail. When a large crowd followed the police van and on reaching the police station, kept insisting on the immediate release of Lohia and Meneses. The police um, was anxious, and they now requested Lohia to address the restive crowd. Lohia pacified the restive crowd, and he told them to go home. And of course, he assured them that freedom from foreign rule was just a matter of time. Now. Of course, it did seem at that point a matter of time in June 1946. But as we saw, the liberation of Goa was still almost 14 years away. Now, what happened uh, between June 1946 and Lohia, of course, would soon be quietly deported uh, between 1946 and 1961 makes for a riveting story which Faleiro offers in great detail. I'd like you to join me, explore those details over the next few episodes of History Chatter when we take up the liberation of Goa as a series. There was drama, there was uh, a great deal of heartbreak, there was encouragement, enthusiasm, international participation and economic blockade. All of these coming up in the next few episodes of History Chatter on the liberation of Goa. This is Anirban and I hope to see you next week. Thank you very much.